Hey, sports fans, welcome in to Miked Up with Kaylee Mizell. I am really excited to have you guys with me today as I talk to Shayna Goldman from The Athletic and from Too Many Men podcast. Go check her out. She breaks down hockey uh, in such a beautiful and interesting way. So I'm really excited for you guys to listen to the way that she breaks down the Tampa Bay Lightning and this Stanley Cup final series. Uh, it is very intriguing. Uh, I, I told her after the conversation that I, I, I want to go through all of the, the analytics classes with her. She think, she breaks things down in, in, in such a great way for you to be able to understand what these hockey analytics are, what they mean, and how they're used in a lot of different ways. So uh, without further ado, here is my conversation with Shana Goldman. One quick aside before we get into that conversation is that I uh, talked to Shayna last Friday. So it was before game two, before that ooh, frustrating 7 nothing loss by the Lightning in game two. Uh, now the Avalanche are up 2 nothing on the Lightning. And they actually play a home game today. So you can catch the coverage on Bally Sports Sun postgame and then Bally Lightning on Twitter. But just so you know that this, this conversation, I'm not asking specific about game one, game two. I, I'm trying to ask her more overarching questions about the Lightning because I knew that they would play a game after this conversation. So... That is why we talk about the weekend. That is why we talk about a few other things. Uh, so this conversation happened on Friday, but still very relevant to the things that she was talking about. Sheena, I'm so excited to talk to you. You have uh, a, a fun history uh, in getting into hockey and are now uh, a writer for The Athletic um, and do a lot of really fantastic work. So uh, and are a part of Too Many Men podcast, which uh, we're going to get into all of those little different things as well as the Stanley Cup final and the lightning in the Stanley Cup final. But first, we're going to start with uh, the way that I start all these podcasts. Take me back to a younger Shayna. When did you know that you were good enough at writing about hockey and, and, and breaking down videos and analytics to get paid to do it? Um. Not that long ago. <laughs> um, I originally thought I wanted to be a journalist and write about political science when I was in college. And like a month in, I realized I hated journalism. So I completely changed course and thought about numbers and math, which I'm good at, and aimed to be an accountant. And while I was applying for grad school, I threw a flyer out to like a master's program in sports business. And I actually got in and that's where I went. And that's when I started writing. And I did not want to write about in-game things about hockey. I wanted to write about world changes and technology and things like that because I thought writing about hockey would ruin it for me. And then I started writing about hockey. And <laughs> so it was like a process of exactly what I didn't want to do until I narrowed down what I wanted to do. And even after I started writing, I didn't know how much this could be a profession. I think for one, the bar for women to do this is so much higher. You know, you have to be perfect. You can't make mistakes. If you lose your job, there are not going to be 20 outlets calling for you the next day like there are for men. Uh, it's just the way it works in this industry. So it really wasn't until I started writing more frequently and I saw that kind of gain traction and, and um, you know, you hear good feedback from people who you look up to and it's like, okay, maybe you're on the right path. Yeah, I... I 
there's a lot to get into there and, and I want to get into a lot of different parts of it. Um, but kind of dialing back and, and looking at like the analytics and like the analytical mind, um, you, you don't often you hear from journalists, you know, I got, I got into this because there was no math involved, but you're the opposite. You're like, I, I kind of didn't want to do journalism. And then you got into like the statistics and the analytics and, and, and like the math numbers part of it, and then started writing about that. Um, why do you think that maybe you gravitate towards the analytics so much? I think when I read sports writing you would see a lot of narratives and it just I felt like that wasn't for me I like things that are deeply based in fact if I say something I want something to back it up because I know for me it's always been questioned like are you sure about that are you sure you're an expert in this do you know this when you have the numbers and better yet the video to back it up there's less gray area and I liked when you know I started getting into numbers by trying to prove that Anton Strollman was good when he was with the Rangers. And I thought that he had a rough start and then he got better and that kind of helped prove it. But there were players like I didn't expect Dan Boyle to have as strong of numbers as he did. As much as we saw offense, it looked like there was a lot of like leaky defense back. And I liked seeing the numbers and going, this is different than what I thought. Why? So that's what kind of, you know, drew me into it. So well, I'm just going to get into this question. So how many times uh, have you, ha- has that happened where you're like, you make a, con- you make a statement, which I mean, again, we, we, we've kind of, you've touched on it. Uh, this is a thing that happens with women and men. I feel like men are so confident they'll make a statement and no one really questions or refutes it. Yeah. How many times have you made a statement and someone has questioned that statement and then you're like, oh yeah, here are the receipts. Like, check it out. Go All look at my time. Twitter. All the time. Nonstop. Um, yeah. Like, you know, more recently, it could be a player like Pavel Buchnevich. It was saying, you know, he really wasn't bad defensively. Was he strong defensively? No. But was he a liability? No. And so many would look at it and be like, well, he's not playing strong defense or he's not this. And it's like, well, here's what he actually allows against versus the players that are often thought of as strong defensively. It's like, well, he's one dimensional and he's not even good at that one dimension. So it definitely happens all the time. And, you know, there are many who still don't believe in the numbers and they think it's too much. And I think that is deeply rooted in not understanding them. You know, if you don't know it, why try to learn it instead, just say it's terrible and move on. So, you know, there, there's definitely like a lot of questions on like where this comes from, but it just comes from the game and the data from the game and watching the game and, I think that if you're going to talk about it, you do have to look back at everything and, you know, make sure it's concrete and try to account for context and things like that, which is something that I think is another problem in itself. But all the time it happens when someone, you know, will say something and it's like, no, 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 here, here are the actual facts. So let's go, let's go to like a analytics 101, right? I, I think because you're right, I think within hockey specifically, like in other sports, it's been established or it's been embraced a little bit more maybe uh than it than it has in hockey specifically uh I think that there are still people who are like doubt doubtful um because maybe they don't understand it so if you were to to give like an analytics 101 what are what are the statistics what are the things that people need to look out for um and what are things that you kind of take notice of so I think a lot of people know the term Corsi and they don't like it. (laughs) 
because it doesn't it's it doesn't like flatly explain what it is instead of just saying it's shot attempts everyone will say put pucks on net shot attempts take shots that's Corsi so I think that's a fundamental concept to understand and I think there's so much more than Corsi it's that that's our foundation but we can jump off it so things like expected goals you know it, it accounts for the value of a shot attempt taken based on the location the angle the distance the type and some sorts of you know, pre-shot movement, if it's with public data from, you know, based on NHL.com's play-by-play data, it will make a proxy for whether it was an odd man rush or um, whether it was a second chance or a rebound. And then more private tracking, you'll get passing data to add to the value of the shot. So those are the two essentials I think that are important, but understanding things like per 60 stats, instead of looking at points per game, maybe look at per 60 stats because it actually weighs the ice time a player was, you know, on the ice for. So if a player is a fourth liner, we can get a good indication of what they produce based on their points per 60. And then if they have a strong number, maybe it's a good indication that they could do it in expanded minutes, but it's a good way to weigh that because we can't hold in the same, you know, a point per game race rate, it might help to know this player averages 13 minutes versus 18 minutes. So those are like the three fundamental ideas, I think, that are easy to kind of latch onto. But there's so much, there's so much context. And, you know, we could go through, there's microstats, like, you know, zone entries and things like that, that I feel like some don't even recognize that's analytics. It's just something, you know, you watch and you recognize when you see it, oh, they can't get into the zone clean. Oh, they're playing a dump and chase game. Like there's just numbers to back up things that you notice on the ice. Oh my gosh. I like am eating up everything that you're saying. I love this right now. Um, and for more of this for fans, definitely follow Shana on Twitter. Um, how many whys are in your, it's, there's three. a there's three, there. I was going to say there's quite a few whys in that. Yeah. Um, um, but we'll plug that. Um, I'm sure we'll, we'll tag you in this. Um, so looking at kind of transitioning, we're going to get into maybe some more analytic stuff in, in your journey, but transitioning into what you're, what you're looking at for this Stanley cup final. Um, it's been like the talk of the town, right? It's been, this Stanley cup final has been hyped up to say, um, that for the first time in, in maybe quite a few years, we are seeing actually the two best teams go at it. Are there statistics to back up that claim? Yes. Um, this is one where a lot of the narratives actually line up with the data because it's two of the best. This isn't Montreal versus Tampa Bay. This is the team that's the back-to-back champions who know what it takes to win it all versus the team that wants to learn what it takes to win it all that's been one of the best teams in the league. So for the Avalanche, you have a team that's elite offensively, elite defensively, and in the regular season had really strong goaltending, but in the playoffs, they haven't so much, and they're still getting by. And then for Tampa Bay, you have one of the best goalies in the world, you know, one of the best postseason goalies in the last couple of years without question. And you have a team that still has the elite offensive power, the elite defense, And maybe like if you look at head-to-head regular season, it doesn't show as well because there were so many changes for Tampa with injuries during the year and things like that. But you have teams that are, you know, strong in all three zones on paper. And then once you get to the postseason are still holding on to that for the most part in, you know, two out of the three, if not all three. So it's so interesting because you really do have two of the best. And that's why game one was such like a high quality matchup off the bat. 
Yeah. It, 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 again, it was a fantastic game. I've said this a few different times. This game is, is available for anyone to watch. So if you're like a fringe fan of hockey, watch this Stanley Cup final. I promise you it will be. It's so entertaining. It is like the best of the best in terms of hockey. Okay, getting, I kind of want to like match up some of your uh, analytics and, and, and the way that, that you go about um, looking at hockey with narratives, like you were saying, that, that we've talked about before. So Andre Palat, he is just, I, I, I don't know words to say. Like he just is, he, he knows how to show up in the playoffs and he's done it all three times that the Lightning have gone to the Stanley Cup final. And it's not that you never see him during the regular season, but there is this, this like extra that he brings, it seems like, during the playoffs. Why do you think that is? And are there, again, like are there analytics or statistics that say like, okay, maybe this is the reason why he's, he's showing up in this way in these big moments? So before this round, I was looking at his points per 60 from the regular season, and it was good for a top six player, even like a middle six player. But it's interesting that when he goes to the playoffs, that's why I like using the per sixties because we can't measure what someone does in three rounds versus an 82 game season. Like there needs to be something to level it off. And this absolutely is because here's someone that legitimately is scoring more than one point per 60 minutes. You know, he's just scoring at that much higher of a rate and it shows it. I don't even know how to explain it. Like he's just a clutch player. Some players just rise to the occasion and he absolutely does. And he did in the days of the triplets. And now, you know, when it matters the most, there are three Stanley Cup runs. There he is. Um, some players thrive in that environment. You know, some players can handle the pressure, take it in stride. Some just up their game. And, you know, he he's such a strong all-around player that it just shows so well in the playoffs, though. And, you know, right now he's playing with Kucherov and Stamco so often. And Kucherov and him have an excellent connection. That's We would expect that, you know, the last two playoff rounds, we know it's Kucherov and Point. And we know from the triplet days, it can be Kucherov and Kolat. So they still have that chemistry there. And, you know, the fact that he's not one dimensional and he, he's not just a shooter and not just a passer and he can play both ways is what makes it work. Because how, if you're a defenders and you see Stamkos, Kucherov, Kolat coming at you, who, who are you paying attention to? It's so hard to decide because they're all so good. Yeah, I, I've heard whenever I've asked this question to the other players, one of the things that they have said about Palat and his game is that um, that he's very structured and he's very dependable. So you know where he's going to be. And like, and that just, whenever you play with a guy like Kucherov, who has this ability to just like make insane plays and, and like literally like breaking people's ankles, but like on ice, um, when you, when you play with a guy like that, you need someone to kind of counterbalance that and, and someone to be very dependable and structured um, because Kucherov, you have to like let him shine in those moments. Um, so I, I think it for sure works out very, very well. And obviously we've seen a, a lot of success from, from that line in general. Um, and yeah, it's specifically from Andre Palat. Um, going into the goaltending, something that I've noticed this year that, w- that has been talked about quite a bit is Andre Vasilevsky in this high blocker side that he's let quite a few goals in on this high blocker side. Is this something that is very specific to this year? Has this been, is this been over time that that this is maybe just like a a part of his game that is a little bit more weak and can be exploited? I think it can be exploited. And I think the thing now is too, with better tracking data and more teams working with that kind of information, more have access to it. You know, if you go on, 
NHL.com, you're not going to see where goalies allowing goals, but if you're partnered with a private tracking company or you're doing your own tracking, maybe you can pick up those patterns and the more teams invest in their analytics departments and try to trickle that throughout their front office. So it's not just segmented to this is what you do and that's it to coaches wanting that information and video coaches working with them and that kind of information trickling down to the players you can target those areas a little bit better and kind of learn the weaknesses and tendencies. So you have the video, you know, you can see it, but here's the numbers to back it up. You know, 80% of these shots are going in, in this, you know, this area of the net. So I think that there's been maybe more of an effort to target that area. And it obviously paid off for other teams. But then again, when you get to some sort of elimination situation, you can't count on anything because it's Vasilevsky and net. Yeah, exactly. Because again, like the, the data is like, <laughs> those facts don't lie. Like yeah. Vasi is, a, I, I've said this a, no, a number of times as well. I, it's, he might be like the ultimate closer right now. He, he just shows up incredibly big in, in those um, series closeout situations and those big clutch situations. Um, what do you think that maybe data can't track? Like spe- specifically looking at this series, right? Like, so We've I've heard a lot covering this team the last two years about the will to win. Um, and that first year after the Columbus sweep, um, they had this huge chip on their shoulder. And I think there are there have been moments throughout each playoff run and each series that like amp the lightning up to to win the series, like they give them that momentum. I think Braden Point winning in that five overtime over Columbus, I think not to say that at that point the series was over, but that gave the Lightning so much momentum. And there's been different moments throughout different series and different playoffs runs, again, that have really just kind of pushed the Lightning over the board um, to be able to win. So when when we're looking at this picture, you said, uh, and, and it's been the narrative all along, that this is a, t- a team that knows how to win, that is trying to create a dynasty, and a team that is trying to get there. How do we account for that? And, and can we account for that in statistics? I think it's tough to account for that, but I think that's what's so important about it because it shows how we have to take everything in tandem together. It's not just looking at one aspect of it. We have to look at everything. For Tampa, you know, I love the John Tortorella quote, we created a monster because they did. A team has to learn what it takes to win. And I think Colorado is a good example of it last year too. This was a team everyone had as a favorite and rightfully so. And they went up against Vegas and Vegas adapted better and had that extra gear that they could take them over. For Tampa Bay in this postseason, they went against the Toronto Maple Leafs, who are the prime example of what it takes not to win. You know, everyone will look at the narratives. They don't know what it takes. And it's like, well, here was another year where that narrative is going to get more fuel because you had Tampa Bay in game six. I think that was the decider in the series more than game seven. Tampa Bay facing elimination, being like, we're not done yet and picking it up because there were a lot of points in that series. They weren't the better team. And then when push came to shove, Vasilevsky did step up because he didn't have his best series initially. But it was such a team effort to get them through that round. Tampa Bay knew the desperation that they needed. And, you know, round two was another example of that. You know, Florida, a team that was really built for success and then didn't play to their strengths in the postseason. They didn't have that extra gear that Tampa had. And you could look at it and see the way that they were blocking shots and throwing themselves this this desperation to keep Florida out of the quality areas, to take away the East-West pass, to do everything to play to their strengths. But there really is a mental aspect to it. Like this is a team that under pressure 
can just play to their strengths. And you look at the Panthers on the other side, one of the best teams of the regular season, all postseason did not play to their strengths. They didn't have that same gear. So it's so interesting to look at because there, there is something there. Tampa Bay outright knows what it takes. They know how to grind it out. And they're a team too. Generally, I would say you don't want to just try to play shutdown defense when you're leading in a game. It's too one-dimensional. They're a team that knows how to do it. Like they're a team that knows what risks not to take, when not to take them, when to take them. And all of that just combines for this like stellar mentality that pairs up with the elite skill that they have. And that's why they're the monster that they are. Yeah. And, and, and it truly, yeah. I mean, you and torts and yeah, they, they really have become this monster. And uh, I, I think that that's why this series is going to be so fun to watch. Um, I'm going to put you on the hot seat a little bit. Do you have a series prediction um, based off of both, you know, the statistics that we've been talking about, but also that, that will to win for maybe both of these teams um, that we've been talking about as well. So I think my initial prediction was Colorado in six. I was between six and seven. I think I went with six ultimately. Um, I'm going to stick with that for consistency, but I, you can never count out Tampa, you know, like it's maybe that sounds like tired or lazy, but it's the truth. You can't count them out. And Colorado impressed me that, they were able to pick it back up in game one after they kind of sat back and Tampa pushed forward to tie that game. But it's going to be so interesting to see like Vasilevsky didn't have his best game in the first period. And then he, when they needed him to step up, he absolutely did. So it shows just how tough this is going to be for Colorado. Like just because they have the first win, you know, Tampa lost game one in round one and they lost in round three and they were just fine. So I don't want to let that even like, influence it like let me change my mind here I want to stick to the consistency I think Colorado has what it takes but if Tampa wins will anyone be shocked no they shouldn't be yeah exactly um I I I wonder sometimes my perspective is I think that in addition to that this core group knowing what it takes and knowing how to win I think that they've added pieces this year um on the lightning team that have been on the opposite side have been that, you know, 2019 Columbus sweep, you know, that Tampa Bay team that went through that. But you have those individuals like Corey Perry and Pierre-Edouard Belmar. Um, those two guys stand out to me as guys who really, who know what it takes, who, who have been there on the losing side. And they, and they want, I, I, I just was struck by this quote from Pierre-Edouard Belmar. And he said, um, he said that he has regret after after the Vegas um, series um, and that he didn't maybe play, like looking back retrospectively, looking back, that he didn't maybe play every single shift like it could have been his last shift and that there, there was some regret there. And I'm wondering, for me, I think that that might be something that pushes this team over, um, having some of those players like that with that mindset in conjunction with players who know how to win and who have done it before. What do you think whenever you hear players say stuff like that, say stuff like, you know, they, they, they have that regret that they didn't give it their all. I think it's refreshing to hear that versus we didn't get the bounces. It wasn't our night. They were just better than us. And I think that there's an honesty to saying our opponent was just better than us, but to hear that it's, it's a refreshing take and it definitely shows his fuel to step it up. And he's a great defensive player. And, you know, a really good piece on in that bottom six and on the penalty kill. 
for Corey Perry, it's an interesting one because narratives here are going to lead the way. If they lose, he's the jinx. That is what it is. You know, he's just cursed. And if he can get past that, then maybe Patrick Maroon really is the key to winning any cup that you want, you know, in, in the near future. But I think that it's, it's really nice to hear that from a player though, to say, I need to be better individually. You know, it's a team sport. We know that, but if a player can step it up and just kind of round out the edges on a team even more like that helps. And for Tampa, they kept this core together. That's like the biggest thing. I know the last couple of years, we're going to talk about Yanni Gord, Blake Coleman and Barkley Udrow, and they all should be, they were such an important part that new look grind line to their wins, but they were the supplementing supplementing pieces to the skilled core. Like we can't forget they have an elite core and they played it the right way by keeping the core together and bringing in the pieces like Perry, like Nick Paul, like Brandon Hagel. And those were the replacements versus breaking up their core, which is what truly got them their last two championships. Yeah. And I mean, I think for Tampa, it was pretty heartbreaking uh, to lose Yanni Gord. Um, But you're right. I mean, I think that, that, this core has been together and then and I and I think we, we already talked about Vassy a little bit but he is the backbone of the team and they'll say that you know he and he's it, it's, it still blows my mind like he's he's a young guy like he's still in his 20s he's closer in age to Ross Colton than Alex Kalorn he is a young guy um and I mean the Lightning knew what they were doing when they got him um and I, I think that he has really shown up and he's go- grown in his own confidence um, and someone else who has grown in their own confidence, but I still don't see them getting the love that I feel like they deserve. And so I want you, hopefully you, I'm, I'm pretty sure you'll have the statistics to back this up, but Anthony Sorelli, he's so incredible on the ice. He has this like, you know, Yanni Gord esque, like never give up attitude, but also like, the way that he is able to shut down top lines is incredible. Can you please, like, we need some Anthony Sorelli hype. Like, what what do you have that can help back this up? Because I just feel like he does not get the love he deserves. So two seasons ago, I think, was his first, like, selkie caliber season. And he didn't get the appreciation he deserves. And, I mean, and in some respects, it's on the media to look past the narratives. Like, defense is really tough to measure, especially when you try to measure it for forwards. And even some players, I think it was Ryan O'Reilly this year, um, when I worked on the Selkie story, his answer was like, it does take time to build a reputation. And it is a trophy that doesn't often go to the young guys because of that. And he has a point. It doesn't. Does it? Should it? Absolutely. It should go to the best player. That's why we see the Norris conversation kind of shifting to players like Cal McCarr and Adam Fox versus the mainstays that we know to always be in the conversation. Um, so for Sorelli, last year, I don't think was his best season compared to two years ago, but this year he really picked it up. All year he had self-caliber defense, no question, but he didn't have the offensive side that some look for. Even though this is the award for the best defensive forward, it's always used as the best two-way forward. And I think even if you use two-way, he could have gotten into the top five, but for many he didn't because on the score sheet, you know, you don't see as many highlights and whatnot, so you don't look at it. In the playoffs, He's been so important in round one. He went head to head with Austin Matthews to try to contain him as much as possible. Round two, it was Barkoff and it was a team effort. It's not that it was just him, but round three was when he played, I think his best hockey of the season. And it was when he was put together on a line with Hagel and Kalorn, which who knew that would be your new look grind line in a sense, because we expected it to be Hagel and Paul and Colton. And now you have Sorelli as the middle of it, but it, it works so well. 
Um, they went head to head with Mika Zibanejad and Chris Kreider, who were two of the Rangers' best players and were playing like it. You know, it wasn't that they just got the Panarin line who they weren't playing up to their strengths. They got the Zibanejad line, which was the most important to shut down in that matchup. And they did. They did at home in those first two games, keeping them to the outside, uh, limiting their shots. But I think it was so impressive that if they got a shot off, they weren't letting them get it from the quality areas. And in game five, when the Rangers had home ice, John Cooper still worked the matchups to his advantage. And he still managed to get Sorelli out there against Zibanejad to take away one of the Rangers' best weapons once again. And in game six, I think it just drove it home. So going into the series, now it's his biggest test yet. He has Nathan McKinnon, who is so strong, so fast, so skilled. He combines every skill I think a general manager could wish for in a player all in one. And it's not just him because it's Gabriel Landeskog, who's a great two-way player, and Val Nachushkin, who's a great defensive forward too and has that offensive touch this year. He's that facilitator like Pilat is in a sense, you know, on that Kucherov line. So it makes it even more challenging. And in game one, they did get that Sorelli matchup against Nathan McKinnon and Tampa lost that battle outright. So it's going to be so interesting to see how that line bounces back because they were so strong in, you know, throughout round three. And I'm sure they're going to be just as strong moving forward too, but it's such a big test for them. And I'm so interested to see how that shakes out. Yeah, it, it, it certainly will be in this Stanley cup final. Are we watching some of the best, if not the best hockey players of this generation like when you talk about guys like Kale McCarr when you talk about Andre Vasilevsky when when you look at some of these offensive players Braden Point um you you just mentioned you know McKenna and um Nikita Kucherov like when you look at these players is are these like the hockey players of a generation that we are watching in this final yeah, like they're elite players outside of the final show. You have Miro Heiskinen and Adam Fox and Connor McDavid and Sidney Crosby. But there's so much star power in this matchup, which makes it even more exciting to watch. That's what can like bring in the casual fan. Steven Stamkos is an elite player. And even when we thought maybe he was fading out, he adjusted his game to become more of a playmaker and had an incredible regular season. Nikita Kucherov, I don't think gets enough attention ever. You know, we focus on his shot. He's such a skilled passer and showed that off in game one with probably the best goal, like the best setup of the game, the best scoring play of the game, I think had to be that one when Kucherov set up plot. Victor Hedman, as much as we could say, Cal McCarr is the best defenseman of this year. And I do think will be the best defenseman of the next 10 years. I think it's going to be him, Heiskanen, and Adam Fox battling it out for the next 10 years. Victor Hedman has been it for the last 10 years. So if you want to award a trophy to the best defenseman of this season, it's Cal McCarr's. If you want to say who's the best defenseman in the league, you could still say Victor Hedman without even blinking. Um, and then, like, you know, there's Cal McCarr. Here's the best defenseman of, you know, the up-and-coming defenseman who is so good already in his third season. And his partner, Taves, doesn't get nearly enough attention for being an absolute stud on the back end. He is an elite defenseman on both ends of the ice. I cannot believe how the Avalanche acquired him for literally nothing when you, you know, think about the type of player he is versus the price. And then you just go up the lineup for Colorado. You have Miko Rantanen, such a skilled player. Gabriel Landeskog. You have Nathan McKinnon. There's so much skill. And then Andre Vasilevsky is one of the best goalies in the league. So there's so much star power right there. Oh, I can't wait for the games and uh, specifically the games here in Tampa. Uh, okay. 
getting into thank you so much for for just indulging me i <laughs> not all of that uh talk i really really appreciate it um i do want to talk a little bit more about you um how did you guys so i knew allison whenever i was in columbus i did like a hot stint in columbus before i came back to tampa um how did you get the too many men podcast up and run how did you guys all meet like tell me about this origin story so Allison's work I always admired because she is the queen of putting data together with video and learn so much from her. And when I started at The Athletic was when I started like really talking to her because I was like, hey, I'm thinking this. And um, we became friends off the bat. And Sarah writing there too, the three of us, you know, we all clicked and we were joking around about a podcast. And, you know, I think Sarah said something like, that there's too many men like making a joke off the penalty. And we were like, that'd be a great podcast name. And then the three of us were like, that would be kind of fun. And, you know, it came together. And of course, like a month into starting it, hockey paused. And we were like, oh, now we have nothing to talk about. But, you know, we're having so much fun with it. And the three of us, I think, play well off each other. And we have fun doing it, which is the most important thing for us, you know, we didn't want this to feel like work. We wanted to have a good time and the three of us do together whenever we're just talking. So, you know, I, I love that we're doing it. So it started as a passion project and, and, and now you guys are, you know, a part of the Libertard and friends group. Tell me about the evolution. Like when, because each of you have like major followings in your own right, you're very talented in your own right. So like putting these three, like incredible women and incredible hockey minds together it's like a no-brainer that like people are going to want to get involved when did you start noticing like oh from this passion project like this could actually be something more than that when we put it together we we saw the reaction and we were so surprised and like appreciated it so much like you know we're three different people who each bring something to it and I don't know I guess people just like that it was something different you know we're talking about hockey, but we're, we don't take it that seriously. And when there are important things to talk about, we go there, you know, maybe sometimes some of us like me go too far, <laughs> but, uh, cause I have the, the worst filter of the three of us, but I think it's important. There are so many things in hockey and during the pandemic, that was a huge thing, like how workers at arenas were being paid and talking about things like that and just keep bringing it to the forefront as much as possible. Um, when we did a flip cup tournament during the pandemic, we did Claws for a Cause and we raised $5,000 together and we're able to donate that. I think that's when we were like, wow, we're really doing something here. That is incredible. And you guys, yeah, like you said, it's not just getting together and having fun, but you but you have advocated um, in a sport that needs advocation. Um, along those lines, did you have you always loved hockey? You you mentioned earlier like that you thought maybe writing about hockey would diminish your love of it. Has it? And what has been maybe the evolution for your relationship with hockey as you've gotten more involved in it with your work? So I've always been a big hockey fan. Um, and writing about it did take a little bit away from it, but not at first. It was when I started writing about in-game things and specifically about the Rangers. I was a huge fan of the Rangers. I never wanted to write about them because I thought it would ruin my fandom. And it did like very quickly for a number of reasons, including the fact that games felt like work. The more I pulled away from writing about them and just writing about league wide things, the more I'm enjoying it, though, that I can kick back and watch. And even if I'm sitting there taking notes, it's not stressing me out like it was like 
Um, and I think part of it too was I was a freelancer. I had to make sure my stories were as perfect as I could make them to hope I could get more stories out of it and get more opportunities out of it. And there's so much pressure you put on yourself that it very quickly can ruin it. And now that I have stability and I'm so happy too, it it's kind of taken off that pressure. I don't want to be complacent. I always want to be pushing to be my best and keep learning different things and doing different things. So it stays interesting. Um, I feel like that's helped a lot that it doesn't, as much as I know watching a game might be work, I can have a good time and I can, you know, have more of a rooting interest in things too, other than just, I hope my take is right. Because if it's not, I don't know if it's going to affect my next paycheck, which is a horrible mentality, but it's how it sometimes has to be here. Yeah. And, and like I said, especially you said, like it, that's how it often is in the freelance world. And, um, yeah, it, it stinks. And I'm glad that you, uh, don't have to, to go through that anymore. Um, when, when, in thinking about hockey, what, what, so y- you kind of said like your relationship with it right now is, is a little bit better maybe because you're able to take a step back and it's not that stressor. W- when you think about why maybe you guys have been successful with the, with the too many men podcast, do you think that it's in part because you have a voice that was needed and that there haven't been very many women who have been elevated to have those voices? Yeah, for sure. Like, I definitely think any voice that does not belong to a white man is very welcome in hockey and should be brought in with open arms. And there are still roadblocks, even if you start developing your voice. And even if you establish a podcast like we did, there's going to be pushback always. And I think pushback can be good because it can, it can keep you on your toes and you want to be better and you, you constantly want to improve. And I think that's a good thing to a point until you make yourself crazy trying to be something to try, you know? So I think the more that there is that opening for hockey to get better, because it is behind the ball, you know, behind many other leagues and being that welcoming sport, I think it's a good thing. So, you know, the more people like us are talking about hockey, the better, because it's going to be a more inclusive space. And I think it's going to make it a more enjoyable space for, for us, for fans. I'm sure there are women who watch hockey and see AJ Molesko doing color commentary and it opens a new door for them. There's a new interest in it because you're not just listening to the same three men who have been in the game for 50 years talking about it. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, I, I, Kaylee Chelios who used to work in Tampa said that exact thing that she never knew that she could be an analyst for hockey, a game that she like grew up watching that she knows <laughs> quite a bit about um, that, that she never knew that, that she could have that role until she heard someone else in that role. And then she was like, Oh, maybe, maybe I can do that. Maybe that is something that I can do. And she's done it with the Blackhawks um, and done it fantastically. Like she's really incredible at it. Um, So it certainly helps to, to start paving the way. Um, How do you differentiate? You mentioned like some of the feedback can maybe be positive in terms of making you grow and, and get better. How do you differentiate between feedback that maybe you need to take seriously that maybe you can grow from and feedback that is, you know, maybe just from like a troll or, or feedback that you're like, this isn't, I don't need to let this impact me. Yeah. Sometimes it's just not in good faith and you can tell by like the tone of it or if someone's being incredibly condescending, but there are times, especially because like I do work in data and not everybody will understand when I say something about the isolated impact on expected goal generation. And I get it. And I think the biggest hurdle when you work with that is kind of understanding how to break it down. So everybody understands it, not just you. 
So there will be questions like, can you explain this? Do you have something on this? Or I didn't get this. Even if they're not asking for it, they go, I didn't understand this. And I think that's the feedback that's like, I needed to break that down better. I needed to link to something. Here's something you can learn about it now. And I will make sure the next time I write about it, I do a better job. So it's things like that, that I think are so important. And maybe, you know, for the podcast, we'll hear people saying, we just don't like the tone of your voice. It's like, okay, it's not in good faith. If you were to say, your microphone quality could be better. We've heard that before. Like that's sure. Okay. No problem. But there's just, there's such a difference and you can really tell when it comes from a place of just saying something to be rude versus anything that can be relatively productive. Yeah, no, that, that that's a really good point. Um, Cause but yeah, I mean, I think that we all appreciate genuine feedback, um, yeah. but uh, don't appreciate trolls. Um, so I don't appreciate trolls. That's not super fun. Um, okay, getting into in, into the last four questions, I, I, I call this the final countdown. What is your happy Gilmore-esque happy place? Wow. Um, probably just like being outdoors with my dogs and a book. Something yeah. super quiet, super easy, no work. If I don't have a cell phone, even better. <laughs> yeah like going on a hike or, or just like hanging out like picnic style hanging out like picnic style I think a hike would be fun but I think one of my dogs can handle it and one can't so it'd be me carrying her the whole time that it wouldn't be a good time for either of us <laughs> <laughs> uh I I can understand that for sure uh if the Tampa Bay Lightning team was a person just like one person either who would they be or how would you describe them hmm I would say I'm going to stick with a player on the team. It would be Victor Hedman because we look at him as the best defenseman of the last 10 years and he's elite. And even if he doesn't have that perfect season, like last year, he didn't, you know, he was in the Norris conversation and at points, maybe not rightfully so. And it turned out he was playing hurt, but when push came to shove in the playoffs, there's elite Victor Hedman, there's Con Smythe caliber Hedman. If anyone had any worries, he's there. So I think he's a great example of it. Don't ever count him out. Don't forget he's one of the best. And if you're worried that he's not one of the best, when it counts, he'll prove that he is. <laughs> Certainly so. Yes. Um, what would you tell your younger self? Like maybe maybe whenever you were just getting started, just getting started freelancing, what would a piece of advice that you would go back and tell your younger self? Relax. <laughs> just relax. I think... Um, we have a tendency to take things so seriously and we should take our job so seriously. But um, I think it's good that I developed a good work ethic. I think I could have taken a breath more. I think I still can now and it's something I'm still working on. So I kind of wish I had that then just when it was making decisions on whether or not to try things or how much I did or didn't work, things like that, just to relax and maybe enjoy it a little bit more because as much as I've enjoyed it, I also look back at it. And I'm like, Oh my God, I like have done a lot of work or, Oh my God, I didn't enjoy things as much as maybe I would have, could have, or, you know, should have wanted to. Yeah. What is something outside of work this week that has brought you joy? Hmm. It's a good question. This has been a long week. Um, the playoffs, you know, it's, yeah, the, everything with the playoffs, uh, just tennis. That is, that is my favorite non-hockey sport, and it's the start of grass season. I 
hated clay. I hate everything about it with the French open. So I'm just glad that's over. Um, and it's just, I, I love to like watch tennis outside and, you know, in the summer, it's great because it starts early in the morning, which is not quite my vibe, but it goes throughout the afternoon. Um, and that that's the highlight for me. There you go. Well, I hope that you get to enjoy some fun hockey relaxed, um, <laughs> semi relaxed, uh, cause I know you'll be working a little bit. Um, and also maybe some tennis, uh, over this weekend. Yeah, it's hopefully there's. There's some good matches on and it doesn't collide with hockey at all. So it's even better score. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. Um, people can find your writing on the athletic and they can find your videos and breakdowns on Twitter. Can you give your Twitter handle? Yep. It's Hey Shay with three Y's on the Hey and three on the Shay. Perfect. I'm telling you, if you don't follow Shayna right now, you need to go out and do it. She, uh, breaks down hockey, like I said, in, in just such a fantastic way. Really helps people understand the game better, understand analytics better. Uh, and she is uh, superb at her job. And check out the Too Many Men podcast. It's a bunch of fun. Uh, and, and shout out to Allison for helping me get this interview with Shayna. Really appreciate you ladies. Thank you for listening. Be sure to rate and subscribe. Share this with a friend. And I'll catch you next week. And a special thank you to our national sponsor in Southeast Toyota. Visit your local Toyota dealers today or exploretoyota.com and take advantage of the amazing deals on our full line of vehicles. No matter your destination, Toyota goes with you. Toyota, let's go places.